Welcome to the Habits and Hustle podcast, a podcast that uncovers the rituals, unspoken habits, and mindsets of extraordinary people. A podcast powered by Habit Nest. Now here's your host, Jennifer Cohen. Welcome to Habits and Hustle. Uh, we have a very special guest today. Um, she, her name is Nicola Para and otherwise known as the holistic psychologist, who has, if you uh, are on social media to any extent um, and are interested in any kind of uh, personal healing or work, you probably have come across her stuff a gazillion times. And I'm so happy to have you uh, as our guest today. So thank you, Nicole, for being here. Of course. Thank you, Jen. I'm truly honored to yes. be here with you today. Oh, my <laughs> gosh. Well, I was saying just before we started filming that it's amazing to me how quickly you've grown. Like I was just last probably seven or eight months, I was saying that I've been really kind of noticing your work and you kind of, I, I assumed that you were like doing this for years on online and you've like what over 3 million followers just on Instagram alone and engaged 3 million. I'm not talking like just like people kind of casually coming to your page and it's only been what, like you just said, yeah, I went on to create the account July 2018, so a bit over two years. Now, I, is that surprising to you even that you've had such traction and that people have been so, that's resonated so deeply with people so quickly? Yeah, really surprising. I mean, yeah. my intention when I created the account was really twofold. Um, the first really intention was creating a space for me mm -hmm. to begin to speak what I was coming to understand were my new truths about myself as a you know healing right. human and also myself as a practitioner you know coming to the awareness that the way I was working really wasn't serving myself and my clients so the Instagram account was like okay here's my little space right. where I can start to talk about what I was starting to understand was holistic wellness my other intention was to start to connect with other people who were speaking the same language right. I was at the part of my own healing journey where I think as a lot of us do starting to feel really lonely really disconnected like people around me weren't really kind of aligning. So right. going online, I would have never imagined it would have snowballed into the account that it is now. Um, I understand the growth, I think, is really a testament to the universality of what I'm talking about. Right. I think a lot of us and the community is very international. Um, so wherever you're really living in the world, um, I think these truths are resonating, whether right. it's when I'm talking about all of the reasons why we're stuck um, a lot of my content talks about that. Um, and then also the pathway to healing. So the second I showed up and began to talk about this, I mean, I was mind blown at how much resonance and from where in the world it was coming. Wow. And it's been incredible. And I mean, while I said one of my intentions was to create the community, I mean, the fact that they're showing up and resonating and like you said, very engaged. I mean, that is just blowing me away. And quite honestly, it helps me in my own healing as well. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I think that you are very unique though, right? Cause it's not traditional psychology. That's why you call yourself the holistic psychologist. Where did you even come up with even calling yourself that name? Because 
even in the name itself, it's very different, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. From your traditional. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I was trained traditionally, as I think a lot of us are um, in Philadelphia, where I used to live. I right. had the private practice where, you know, I had the office and I would do talk therapy. Um, and what I came to realize is that I wasn't really helping people. Um, right. that I was still struggling myself. Right. Um, for me, the name of the game was anxiety. As long as I can remember, I'm someone, I was a little girl, scared of the world, hiding under tables, any thump in the night. I mean, I was assuming it was the worst case thing, the robber, you know, the thing that's wow. going to hurt me. So as long as I can remember, I was very, you know, aware of the kind of struggles that I think a lot of us have. And I went down the very traditional pathways to try and heal myself. Mm -hmm. I was on medication. I did talk therapy. And it kind of was just always there. And I wasn't really getting better. And what I started to see week after week with clients once I opened up my practice was a lot of the similar patterns mm -hmm. it, in amazing amounts of awareness. I mean, people coming in week after week with these breakthroughs, these aha moments, knowing exactly what I want to do differently the next time this thing happens to you know break that pattern, whatever it may be. And then yet that person would come in that next week with kind of a repetition of the same, you know, oh, I engaged in that same pattern, you know, I drank, I fought with my partner, what have you. Right. So I really was seeking to understand what is going on. Why can't any of us maintain changes and myself include it? Right. And then what I came to realize um, through, you know, an evolution, my own dark night of the soul, hitting bottom, you know, really questioning myself, my life, my purpose, you know, my own lack of fulfillment, you know, here, you know, in this earth experience. And what I came to realize is that I wasn't really, I didn't, I wasn't working with the whole human. Um, coming from a traditional system where it's kind of very much the medical model, yeah. right? When our body is sick, you go to the body doctor. When your mind is sick, you go to me, right. the mind doctor. And those things are very separate. And nowhere was anything talked about in terms of spirituality, a soul, something else. So what I came to realize is that separation was why a lot of us were really stuck. It's because we were operating with imbalances in one or more of those areas, in my physical body, maybe yeah. in my emotional self or my spiritual self. And that's why I wasn't actually creating change. So that's what holistic now means to me. Right. It means understanding that we are interconnected human. We have these, I talk really simplistically, we have these parts, if you right. will, no, right? no, we have this good. physical body yeah. uh, and all that comes along with our physical needs. We have an emotional body. We have energies and hormones that run through us that give us our feelings, our emotions, and they're very complicated. Right. And I think a lot of us now are waking up to a reality that there might be something else. There, you know, whether or not you want to call it something spiritual or a soul. I think a lot of us are starting to search for that essence, that like something else. Yeah. And so that's what holistic means to me is acknowledging the wholeness of yeah. us and then seeking to understand what's driving our stuckness because i'm of the belief that yeah. it is an imbalance like i said in one of those areas that's keeping us repeating the patterns right so you said a couple of things i find very interesting the patterns i want to get into that because i do feel we can't we constantly relive the same patterns even if and it's not for people who are very insightful, who are smart and they're self-aware. It's not for just people who I think are just completely like going about their business have zero self-awareness. In fact, it's even more difficult for people who are self-aware yes. and who are insightful because you actually think that you can fix yourself by just acknowledging it 
But I find like, like you said, it's like such a perfect way of saying it that like the more insightful you are, you, you go into therapy and you're like, okay, I know what I'm doing. I know why I'm doing it and how it came about, but still the pattern or is not changing. Yes. Yes. So what, what does someone do? Yeah. And, and I think, and the reason why I talk so much about the reason why we're stuck, which I'll go into in a minute and yeah. obviously how we create change and yeah. become unstuck. Um, <laughs> But I mean, thank you for kind of acknowledging that, yeah. Jen, because I do agree. And a lot of us tend, you know, to feel maybe very shameful right. about our inability to change, especially those of us that are, you know, kind of observing ourselves right. locked in, I call it in Groundhog's Day, like yeah. locked in that <laughs> same pattern, right? And exactly. so the more insightful we become, I think the more shameful we become. Right. And, you know, some of us start to make statements, you know, internally, maybe about ourselves, maybe externally. And we start to think I'm broken. Right. I can't change. You know, this is what I'm destined to do. Maybe I'm genetically chipped in this way and I can't, you know, have the life that I want. Right. Um, and I believe that too. So I share my story a lot because I came from very much limiting beliefs. I felt like there was certain things that maybe it was my body was capable of or maybe emotionally. I felt very flat all of the time. I thought maybe that's just the kind of person I am. I'm just very even keel. I don't feel highs. I don't feel lows. I feel nothing. I came wow, to realize yeah. that's not really who I am. I was very, you know, kind of like stuck um, in that very constricted way um, based again on this patterning. So what you to find our way out. Right. Um, I like to talk about the reason why we're stuck. And I'm happy you brought that up because like yeah. I said, I want to relieve the shame. Um, there's a very real reason why a lot of us are stuck. It lives in our evolution. It lives in our bodies and it lives in a very deep part of our mind called our subconscious. That yeah. is the part from which most of us are living our day in that autopilot. Right. Absolutely. So then what, what does someone, even like you using yourself as an example, you said that, and I find it very interesting because we always end up in the career that we actually ourselves have an issue with, right? That's so then you kind of like, if you are, if you have body image issues, you end up in the, in the fitness business <laughs> or in competitions. A lot of times, like if you have like something going on in, in your, and they're all actually, inter as you were saying, it's all very like interconnected, right? Cause everything starts with like your mind. Um, but how did, what was your pattern and how did you kind of, did you get, how did you unstuck, stick yourself, I guess? And you know, if that uh, makes sense. My, so my healing as I think a lot of our journeys do, you know, the, the statement that yeah. we all love to hate in a little bit of, mm -hmm. it's not linear. Right. There was certain shifts and changes that began to happen for me. And what kind of sent me into the journey was right. an accumulation of, of actually physical symptoms. So wow. someone, you know, my whole life I knew anxiety, like I said, so I'm very familiar with panic attacks. I've had digestion issues. I, I have chronic headaches, you know, all the things, tension in my body, thought nothing of it, felt like it was just, again, very genetically predispositioned. I saw very similar patterns in my family. So this is just kind of what I thought it was for me. Right. However, what started to then happen is I started to have, I started to faint. Um, I started to have really serious cognitive. I had a hard time remembering my words in session um, oh, in wow. particular. I would just kind of lose trains of thought. Um, and then obviously when fainting started to happen, I got scared. Um, I was like, what the heck is wrong with me? And that little anxious right. person inside was convinced that this was the symptom I was waiting for. And there's something is genetic, you know, I'm, I'm physically sick. Um, that was a gift actually, because what I did as a lot of us do, I went online and yeah. I was like, okay, <laughs> what's wrong with yeah, me? Exactly. You know? Google. <laughs> really scared. Um, 
And so what I was met with actually was really relieving because um, what, I, what I started to research and become aware of was a new science, the, the world of epigenetics, mm -hmm. the reality that many of us are living that, yes, we have genetics and then we have the choices that we're making each and every day. And what epigenetics is now telling us is that while we're you know, dealt the deck of cards that our genes give us, those choices that we're making, our lifestyle, how we're taking care of stress, how we're feeding our, our body and all of that in between, that's actually affecting whether or not our genes are turning on and turning off. That was my, my that cracked open the door. Mm -hmm. I was still unwell. Right. In a lot of ways. However, that was my first, you know, kind of slimmer of light through because up until that point, I didn't think that there was a conversation of healing. I thought the conversation that I that I was me and many others, you know, were having with ourselves was management. OK, these are the, the ways yes. that I am, you know, emotionally, this is what I'm capable of. Maybe physically, this is what I'm capable of. And there's kind of like this is my lane. Right. right. And I can't really go outside Deviate from that of that right. lane. So what epigenetics meant for me was I just started to question. I didn't believe it yet, but I was like, interesting. You're telling me that I can create change and that maybe these physical symptoms are coming from these choices that I'm making every day. And I entertained it. Right. So for me, that was a pivot. And then obviously there was a lot of choices I began to make that led me into all of this other awarenesses. So my first stage of the journey was trying to heal my body because I was fainting. Like I said, I yeah. wasn't doing well. My, my, my system was screaming out that something was wrong. So I created small lifestyle changes. You know, I made sure my sleep was in order. I made sure my nutrition was in order. And then I started to practice consciousness. And that's where I really developed the kind of pivot um, in the way that I work. Again, yeah. beginning to differentiate the difference between a conscious self and way of being contrasting that with the subconscious, that autopilot right. that you and I keep kind of going back to. And then that's where I really began to understand the nature of our stock. So for me, it kind of happened in shifts. Yeah, um, in stages. In stages. Or, yeah. And I think for a lot of us, it is important wow. to understand, you know, the dysregulation in our body, that stage first, um, so that we can begin to, you know, kind of uh, minimize a lot of, because a lot of the reasons we're stuck is because of imbalances in our bodies and our nervous systems in particular. And so then what is, cause I know you say, I've seen you talk about this a lot, conscious awareness. What does that really mean? Yes. Yeah, and how do people really get to that place? So thank you. So this, yeah. is, this is kind of the crux of it. Uh, oh, you're welcome. Because <laughs> consciousness and people probably, I talk about consciousness so much. Yeah. It is that pillar of foundational it's, change. It, and if people follow you and they don't notice that that's one of the major things, that and trauma, I feel mm -hmm. that you speak about a lot, right? Mm -hmm. So we'll get to that and later. And the, the two are related. Yes, it's I'm just sure so they happens. are. <laughs> so by coincidence, I'm sure not. By coincidence. Yeah. So going back to this part of our mind that's ever powerful, we have a space that stores quite literally everything that's ever happened to us. It's the house of our habits and our patterns. It's called the subconscious, mm -hmm. the computer analogy right. that we all love to hate. Yeah. It's yeah, yeah. all the programs that we run day in and day out. And the reality is we're very habitual creatures. Very. Even though a lot of us don't like to admit it, we do have those programs. We right. are behaviorally, you know, we have the same habits and patterns day in and day out. Mm -hmm. We're even very habitual in the thoughts that we think that lead to the feelings that we have. Mm -hmm. So that very powerful subconscious begins to be imprinted upon since we get here. However, you believe it is that we come to this, you know, earth journey, 
we begin to be imprinted and we begin to lay those programs down. So using that prime example that we've been talking mm -hmm. about, when you and I are in a session, right, and we're having all this insight, chances are we're operating from our conscious mind. Consciousness just means I'm present in the moment now. I'm not operating. It's a different part of our brain. It's called the prefrontal cortex up here, as opposed to more or less back here where our subconscious lives. Right. So where those sessions were happening or where even our aha moments are happening for ourselves, typically it's in our conscious mind. We're able to see the past, problem solve and create a new future. Mm -hmm. However, the, the, where that kind of gets derailed is the fact that most of us upwards of depending on who you read, 90, 95% of our day, we're not operating from that conscious state. We're operating, we're allowing that subconscious and all of that programs to determine. So that's where those habits and patterns live. So that aha moment on Tuesday in session, right? If mm -hmm. I came up with right. a plan for Wednesday, the next time my partner says a thing that bothers me and I'm gonna do this, right? <laughs> By Wednesday and that, and that partner statement, chances are I'm already in that subconscious autopilot. So what's really gonna happen, even though I laid some great insightful plans yesterday, yeah. probably I'm gonna live that same old reaction because I'm not conscious. I'm not able to create change. Well, then how do we start doing that? Even if we acknowledge it and we're aware of it, how do we make it so when we make that plan, we actually execute on that plan? <laughs> we have to practice consciousness. So the first is becoming aware of how unconscious we are. Okay. Um, typical suggestion I like to give. We all walk around with a cell phone these days. Set a, an alarm on your cell phone for random times throughout your waking day. So probably by the time the alarm goes off, you won't even remember what you that you set it. Yeah. When the alarm goes off, when you ask yourself, note, where was my attention? Was I lost in thought? Was I worrying about, you know, the, the argument with my partner that morning? Was I worrying about tomorrow? Was I just somewhere else entirely? Or was I present in this moment. If you're not, if the answer is I'm not present, I was somewhere else, we want to begin to flex our consciousness muscle. We now know our brain can change, right? Neurons that yeah. fire together, wire together, yeah. neuroplasticity, we can create new pathways. So we need to practice consciousness in that moment and beyond that moment. And the, the vehicle for the present moment that most of us can access is through our senses. Right, so a simple mm. sensory check-in, right? The alarm goes off, oh, I was lost in thought about, you know, the fight I had this morning. I wanna become present, I wanna activate consciousness. I can tune in. What can I touch in this moment, right? What am I smelling? Maybe I'm eating, maybe there's lunch in front right. of me, right? <laughs> maybe I can tune into the taste of the food on my plate. When we're paying attention through our senses, I've now brought myself from wherever unconscious state I was in into the present moment. And then we want to build on that practice, meaning we want to try to be in that conscious state as much as possible. Because when we're in that conscious state, when we're here in the present moment, that's when we give ourselves the chance to make a new choice, to make a choice that's maybe counter to right. what our subconscious would have done otherwise. And have you done this uh, with your healing process? And like, does it, like, I guess people shouldn't get discouraged. I would imagine mm -hmm. that it's tro It's like, it, it takes a lot of practice yes. to really kind of get into yes. that space, right? Because- yes. Very, a lot of practice. Because most of us are so used to, yeah. and not even, some of us aren't even aware of how to access the present moment. Because for a lot of us, the tendency to not be present to the moment 
began, this includes myself and I'll share with you in a second, that began when we couldn't handle the present moment right. to protect ourselves from what was here because it was painful. So to answer your question, consciousness was integral for me because what I came to realize when I you know, became aware of myself in this new way, I came to realize how disconnected I was. So those words, how I described myself yeah. earlier, I'm flat, I'm not here, I'm unfulfilled. That was my reality because I was something that we call dissociated. Mm -hmm. I was disconnected because for me in childhood, when stresses in my family were too overwhelming for my you know, young age, and I didn't have the support of an emotionally attuned mother because she herself was internally, internally preoccupied with her own anxiety and her own fight or flight response, unable right, to yeah. tend to my emotions, I did the best thing I could knew how to do, right. which was I disconnected. And a lot of us live in that state of dissociation. That's safe to say that's a state of disconnection, of yeah. not lack of consciousness. So for me, Jen, probably the better part of the first year of healing, that's all I did. I practiced being conscious and I practiced making those small lifestyle changes from that conscious state, paying a little more attention to what I put in my body mm -hmm. and how it made it feel, paying a little more attention to what time I was going to bed and right. you know how I was sleeping and making those small changes. Because until I learned how to be conscious and then obviously in my body, because that's another part of it, mm -hmm. you know, even attuned to what my body is feeling in those moments, I couldn't really do the deeper work. So it's safe to say that a lot of us, a large majority of us, especially if you're resonating with the state of dissociation or have heard about dissociation or know that you dissociate, consciousness right. is going to be the foundation. So then how, okay, so then the, is that the trauma that, that you're talking about that even if it may not be, you don't have to necessarily be sexually abused mm -hmm. to have trauma, right? Trauma is, is, is a very large um I guess, what would you call it? Like it's, it's a very big thing you can be, right? There's yep. different degrees mm -hmm. of it. Yes. So you could have trauma in a, in a smaller state that really does affect you throughout your life, right? Yes. Um, and then from those patterns, you end up choosing people or g going into a pattern, like you behave. I, I heard you speak about this and, and write about this as well. Then you end up being a certain kind of person that ends up picking people or it kind of like, like a trickle effect, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's one thing, it snowballs, yeah. like your, like yeah. your social media, yeah. 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 right? Yeah. Um, and how do you like, how do you kind of stop that? Like if you can, what's the, what's the next step, I guess. So now you're more, I guess I'm babbling to say once someone now kind of practices awareness and conscious awareness, what do they do? It was the next thing that they can do to kind of stop those patterns mm -hmm. that hurt them as an adult. Mm -hmm. We want to become, so there's the conscious state and then there's learning how to observe oneself or witness, right? Because okay, we yeah. want to see the patterns in right. real time because you spoke something very profoundly. When we're children, and I do believe that there's a much more expansive definition of trauma than many of us are operating within. In the 90s, right, thankfully, we had the ACEs study, um, yeah. Adverse Childhood Experiences. And essentially at that time, to keep it simple, for the first time in the psychological world, we determined that there are traumas. They're called, they at that time 
were referred to as big T, the sexual abuse, the physical abuse, the profound neglect, um, having a parent incarcerated or severely mm -hmm. mentally ill. And there's a couple other ones. I think there's 10 questions. Depending, you know, the higher, the many, the more boxes you tick, mm -hmm. the more traumas you've experienced, right? So at this time in the 90s in our field, we've came to a test with research now that yes, bad things that happen in childhood affect you in adulthood, because that's what they were studying. They were saying now, not just in childhood, they were saying you could have had this trauma when you were six, and now when you're 60, right. you might be suffering the consequences still of this. This is the first time we even studied that in, in, in the field in the 90s. However, when I took the ACEs, I scored only a one. Mm. I think up, I think 60% maybe of the population. That's not very hot, yeah. put it that way. So again, this was a point of confusion for me, yet I was seeing the same pattern of dissociation that I was seeing in people who scored a seven. Because right. I've worked with people in extensive um, different you know, contexts and treatment facilities, previously incarcerated, substance use. I mean, I did, I worked with people with eights, nines, tens, right? Wow, you and the I, gamut of it. Yeah. I really did. So, And that's why I was confused, because I'm like, okay, well, I understand why they are struggling. Why am I struggling? Again, probably because something's wrong with me. I'm right. defective, exactly. right? I'm less than, I'm not worthy, all of the things that we tend to believe. Anyway, so I say all that to say, I believe that there's a reason and that there's a broad, broader definition of trauma um, that again originates in childhood. Yeah. So when we're in childhood, to keep it simple, we are born as humans in a complete state of dependency, meaning we can't meet our needs. Right. I've never had a child, but anyone who has had an infant, they need a caregiver of some kind to meet their physical needs. Right. Again, I believe we have emotional needs that are present from mm -hmm. birth. And again, I believe they're spiritual needs. Our core spiritual needs, just so we can get clear on how I define those. Yes. I believe there's three quite simple ones. Our essence, our being, whatever you want to describe, the thing that makes you, you, and me, me. I believe that at our core, three needs that we share are to be seen, mm -hmm. to be heard, and to have the space to just be who I am. To be in that, you know, uniqueness that I am. Be understood. Be understood, it, yeah. right? To be seen as just who I am is different from you, maybe, and that's okay too, yeah. right? Back to that state of dependency. We are reliant on other people to first meet our needs. And then by meeting our needs, that's the model that we internalize over time within how we meet our own needs. Right. So how our parent shows up and teaches us how to care for our physical body, mm -hmm. chances are becomes the way we care for our physical body. Same thing with our emotional needs, right? The, how our parents help us express our emotions or not, and again, we all have very different experiences, that becomes a very patterned way that we take care of our own emotions. Same thing with spiritual. You know, oh, If you have a parent who self-expresses and allows you to self-express, that's gonna typically be what we do. So what happens for a lot of us, this is when we get really adaptive, because we know we need those people. We're so attuned as children. I think children are the most intuitive Absolutely agree. beings, attuned beings on the planet and adaptive beings. Mm -hmm. So what they do is they adapt. They find the way to ensure that the needs are met to the best of that caretaking environment's ability, mm -hmm. right? They show up, if you will. They you know, kind of sanction off maybe parts of themselves or their emotions if they got negative feedback to maintain those connections that we need. Yeah. And then what happens is we repeat those patterns. We take on those same roles in our relationships. You're the caregiver with your mother. Chances are you're the caregiver in all of your relationships yeah. as you develop over time. And then that 
sets into place, right? All of these habits and patterns that by the time I am in my 30s, 40s, 50s, I become the human who's maybe not tending to my needs, who's showing up or who's playing roles to my own disservice. And so, and that plays out in a whole other litany of ways, right? Like of unhappiness. Then who are that, you know, there's so much people who are saying you can't blame your childhood on how you are as an adult. You can't blame this. You can't. Um, now, does, uh, do you feel that then talk therapy or traditional therapy of some form, just do you do that? Do you believe in combining how you, how you, um, feel people should heal with that? Or do you just feel it's just not necessary because you're, you're basically the hamster wheel. Yeah. You spend a lot of money going down the same path, doing the same thing. And you know what reality is, I know many, many friends of mine who've been in therapy for 25 years, you know, twice a week, and they're not any better off than mm -hmm. they were, mm -hmm. you know, year 10, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Like it becomes like, you, it becomes, that becomes your habitual thing. You know, you at 10 o'clock on Tuesday, I'm going to, you know, <laughs> to sit with my therapist, right? And I think that's probably why it does, people do resonate with you because in everything that you just even said by now, like people can, they can feel themselves in that a little bit mm -hmm. at some, to, to some extent, mm -hmm. right? Because mm -hmm. we've all had something, like we said, it's, it's, trauma can be super broad. It doesn't have to be mm -hmm. something small. Yeah. And then how do, so, then what? I'm just like fascinated. Yeah, yeah. No, so, now what? So no, I think, I mean, just to clarify, there, there is a, a time and a place for therapy, I think, in each of our journeys. Um, I don't, I don't speak to the exclusion of it. I'm often, my work is misinterpreted and I've heard people tell me that I've said not to go to therapy. That's. Oh no, I didn't say that. No, no, I'm not saying yeah. you said that. I'm yeah. just clarifying yeah. that for you, just for people, because I do think sometimes a lot of people do find support, you know, in an outside person and having that that space. Um, what is most important, and because this is where I feel anything, whether it's yeah. the therapist, the gym, anything we're doing for one hour, say a week out of however many other hours yeah. are in our week is going to be limited because that autopilot, that subconscious is going to be at play the rest of the time. Right. So therapy can be incredibly helpful as, as a tool as well as what am I doing daily, as well as those lifestyle choices. It's consistency with life. Consistency. Though. So it's and routine and consistency. Yes. Like you said, one hour a week doing anything. If you work out only one hour mm -hmm. a week or, or if you only eat one good meal a week, you're not going to get results. Right. But I feel what you do, maybe you correct me if I'm wrong, you put the onus on the person, on the cell, on me and, and empower yourself to make those daily changes mm -hmm. to have long-term effects. Yes. The consistency is what we need for those long-term effects. Right. Maintaining consistency is incredibly difficult because of our subconscious. Absolutely. Our subconscious operates, I, I use the word evolution, evolutionarily before, earlier. Our subconscious is based on one principle. It's to keep us safe. Now to clarify what safe means for evolutionary value, yeah, right? Yeah. To sustain life of my organism. Right. For according to my subconscious, that which is safe is simply that which is familiar. Because I know what comes next. Right. Because to the human, the uncertainty around that next corner could be the bear that kills me. I mean, I know this sounds, you know, kind of crazy, and you're looking around, and none of us are really living in, yeah, you know, right, in right. that survival, you know, kind of outward state anymore. So why is we're still though our subconscious is still governed in that way? Familiar equals safe. That's why change is universally hard to maintain. Because before long, as I start to make new choices, to wake up a little earlier, to sit in silence, to think a new thought, that's what an right. affirmation is, 
it only a matter of time, and sometimes it's very quickly for us, that that subconscious who's on alert at all times becomes uncomfortable with that change. Right. Doesn't know what happens next once you do this thing again and again and again. Right. And then what happens, this is what I call it, we get a form of resistance. It could come cognitively. A lot of us live in our monkey minds, yeah. thinking our way through life. So what this resistance yeah. could look like, the million reasons why not to do this new thing. You don't, you don't keep things, you know, you don't keep your habits anyway, Jennifer, yeah. so stop it. Or you know what you should really be doing? You know, you have a son, so you should probably be taking care of him, right? Right. Yeah. All of the reasons not to. And or some of us get it in our bodies. We start, we feel agitated. Mm -hmm. We just feel maybe just not like ourselves, weird, different than we normally do. Yeah. And before long, it's only a matter of time before we give in to that resistance. We take it to be our truth, right? Okay, you're right. I can't change. And then we're right back in that familiar rut, in that familiar pattern of our subconscious. Right, because everything is for long term, you have to be working on it all yes. the time, yes. right? Now, what happens if you're with somebody and you've kind of come to that place where you are getting more consciously aware and you've recognized that the partner you're with is not in, on the same page mm -hmm. as you? How mm -hmm. Does that mean that's when you stop a relationship mm -hmm. or what do you do in that situation? I get this question a whole lot. Sure. And, and usually it's in the form of some version of how do I get yeah, I was gonna <laughs> my say. partner, my mom, the change, to see, the change, to exactly. heal, to walk the journey with me. Again, completely normal. Right. You know, for many reasons, you know, Absolutely. we're in a relationship, we want to continue, you know, we love this person, we can see, you know, uh -huh. I'm objective, I'm separated from you, I'm not you. So right. for us, we can maybe see the patterns in our loved ones more clearly yeah. and want them to change from a very well-intentioned place. Um, so I get a lot of this question sure. and my answer is always some version of the same thing, which is to, right, turn that focus back on the self, right, to create the change in you, right, as you're continuing to heal, regardless of what your partner does or doesn't do. Some pathways do lead down to the relationship shifting or changing or ending, doesn't mean it has to. My current relationship, I began healing. Um, me and my partner were what I call a trauma bond, which really just means repeating those patterns As that we both learned in our subconscious, right? We were both in our zone of familiar when we met each other. It felt familiar, mm -hmm. it felt comfortable. Doesn't mean it was, you know, a fulfilling, full, authentic relationship. Most people do that though. Most people do that. Yeah. We are, most of us are attracted to those patterns, to playing those mm -hmm. same roles or eliciting the same feelings, getting love the same way. Exactly. They speak the language, they're giving you the love language. In childhood, yeah. right. So we, again, because of that drive to the familiar, we gravitate. And this is again, where we can be really hard on ourselves, right? Mm -hmm. Failed relationship after failed relationship. What's wrong with me? Why can't I pick the right partners? Maybe very well-intentioned loved ones are asking, what the hell's wrong with you? <laughs> Leave him, get out, can't you see? Yeah. And the truth is no, we can't. We're locked in that familiar. It's fulfilling that need, that definition of self, of love, whatever it is that we only ever knew. Right. So I share all of that because, you know, I, you know, in, in changing, yeah. you know, while my partner and I very gratefully were, Doing, healing yeah. together, 
right? It was never a, you change so that I can feel better, right? It was fully focusing on creating the healing in ourselves. But were you doing it first and then they came along for the ride? Are they in the same business as you? Like, how did that work? Her and I, I mean, we're pretty much on the same path in terms of she was having things in her life percolating on or around the same time, hitting her kind of emotional rock bottom. Mm -hmm. However, the things we were working on and healing from were drastically different. The way we cope put us at odds. She's someone, mm. I'm someone, right? Yeah. Who, who, when I, I, I run, I shut down, right? That makes her scared. She approaches. So there was a lot of complicated yeah. aspects of the healing journey. Um, but again, the, the work really is to, to turn it back and to say, what can I do now for me? Um, to and create. you're still together? We're still together. Really? Mm -hmm. Because I would think that if people are both meeting on when they were both in a trauma, mm -hmm. trauma bonding, right? That when they're changing, they would pick opposite part, different, mm -hmm. different partners, not maybe not opposite, but different partners. How is it that you were able to kind of continue? Like, even though you're both, didn't you know, did you not feel that you wanted when you recognize that, that you were, you were seeking something different and, and vice and same for her. Well, this is where it gets profound because yeah. I believe yeah. that what we're seeking can only be found inside of us. Um, this is exact. And that's where it gets so really profound. This is yeah. where, so this is why I'm kind of insistent on inward, mm. be, you know, cause as, and I'm still learning emotionally because I was so dissociated. It's still taking me a long time to, to yeah. be in body, to feel my feelings, to differentiate between what is this feeling? I don't even know what to call it, let yeah. alone what to do with it. So, you know, in a lot of ways, I'm, I'm still, you know, finding how yeah. to meet my needs. I'm still finding how to be, you know, the spiritual being and just speak my truth, regardless of, you know, how people are hearing it or reacting to it. Um, so that's, that's, in my opinion, the life work is all of us are on the journey mm -hmm. to meet our own needs. Now, again, this doesn't mean at the exclusion of others. I believe that the pathway to be fully authentically connected with others, because we are interpersonal beings, humans are wired to connect, we need other humans. Yeah. However, so many of us are operating on patterns where we're trying to get needs met through other people, that we have to focus inward first, we have to be able to fulfill ourselves, meet our own needs authentically, before I can then authentically present them to another person in a relationship. More from our guests, but first a few words from our sponsor. So we've heard for years that it's so important to have a diversified portfolio. You know, stocks, bonds, mutual funds, that sort of thing. But if you've ever looked at the breakdown of the most successful portfolios, you'll typically see a diversified set of real estate. So whether you're just starting to invest in real estate or looking to add more, our friends at Fundrise have you covered. And here's how. Fundrise is an investing platform that makes investing in high quality, high potential real estate as easy as investing in your favorite stock or mutual fund. So whether you're looking to add stable cash flow via dividends or prefer long-term growth through appreciation, Fundrise has you covered. To date, Fundrise manages more than $1 billion in assets for over 130,000 investors. And since 2014, the Fundrise platform has averaged between 8.7 and 12.4% in annual returns, and investors have earned more than $79 million in dividends alone. 
Start building your better portfolio today. Get started at fundrise.com slash hustle to have your first 90 days of advisory fees waived. That's fundrise.com, F-U-N-D-R-I-S-E.com slash hustle to have your first 90 days of advisory fees waived. Fundrise.com slash hustle. Go for it. Because so much of what I taught, I, I just with my friends or whatever, you know, like even if you are doing that and this, your situation or a lot of people, when you're in that situation where you meet someone in that trauma bond, you both are working on it. What happens if you're not with somebody, but you're constantly being attracted to what you know is not right for you, but you say to yourself, I can't help it. That's who I'm attracted to. Mm -hmm. How do you stop yourself from like physically or what otherwise what it would be when you have who you're attracted to mm -hmm. right because mm -hmm. you are that isn't that kind of mm -hmm. so sub that's so embedded in your dna right yeah how do you do that yeah attraction is you know one of those elusive things. elusive and we're yes. all attracted to different things you know in, in people awareness awareness will allow you right to see that road to play that path out that and person it, yeah. right and then allow you to make that choice to live a new pattern wow so you're still going through the trauma bound like this is like this is not like something that you can kind of like you you kind of get better at and then you move uh, on to the next issue none of this, this is, is so right. even you know when i talk about consciousness there's still moments where I'm not conscious. I check out. I'm not fully present in the moment. Right? right. So all of this is is ongoing. Right. We that those old patterns for me are right there behind the surface, right. especially around my wounds. Right. Right. Those those things that make me emotionally activated are still there. Right. There's even can be moments in real time where whatever thing happens in my world yeah. and I hear that ego voice. I hear right what I want to say or do next. And yet I can still, this is what I call kind of expanding our consciousness. I can allow that to be, and I can still learn to make new choices. So it doesn't go away. Um, like I said, sometimes we slip in and out of consciousness. There's still moments where I react. I yell, I scream, I detach, I dissociate, and I come back. I'm like, oh, you know. Right, and then catch I yourself. acknowledge, I offer myself compassion. I maybe offer to whoever I was around at the time my awareness of what happened. And then I work on building consciousness and creating change in that next moment. So, yeah, there's no light switches. We <laughs> exactly. all love like, that. I'm, I'm, I'm not like now. done. Exactly. I've been looking for this place of doneness. If anyone finds it, let me know. I used <laughs> to call it my hippie, too. my utopian hammock in the sky. I don't know where it is. Uh, so, it, it's yeah. life in. And yeah. that's why I think. I think it's so important when we are incorporating the changes to do so in a in a small way so that we can maintain consistency so that we can walk through the resistance that's going to be there in our subconscious and so that we can do this every day because that's what we're talking about like you and i agreed yeah. it's not just white knuckling it you know doing five new <laughs> things for the next month right. and then what happens day 31 day 32 right we want to create something that's maintainable which unfortunately for a lot of us means change comes slower, right? right? Relief comes slower. And I understand the desire to make it all better, especially when we're really uncomfortable. Of course, I come from a family too who wants to take the pill and be done with it and better tomorrow. Right. And a lot of us want that, and especially when we're really hurting. Um, however, what we're looking is, like I said, to set ourselves up to succeed, to maintain the change, and to live consciously every day so that we can be connected to our ever-evolving needs. Right. That makes sense to me. I mean, it's it's complicated, but yet very simply, it, it's yeah. easy to understand. It's, a, it's, a, it's the most simplistic, complicated thing in the world. <laughs> exactly. That's a great way of putting it. 
What is emotional addictedness? What yeah. is that? Mm-hmm. So I talk a lot about emotional addiction. Again, yeah. it lives in our subconscious. The very habitual way we think for a lot of us results in the very habitual way we feel, right? And that mm-hmm. feeling becomes that zone of familiar. So I'll use myself as an example. Growing up with a lot happening around me, I had a chronically ill mother and a chronically ill sister. My sister in particular had very big health issues when I was a kid. So there was a lot of stress, for lack of a better word, and not much um, emotional support for me. For you, yeah. Because understandably, my family was dealing with the next very real fire, making sure my sister was okay, you know, making sure food was on the table, you know, getting things like in order that we needed. Is she okay now? She's okay. Okay. Yes, yes, yes. So for me, stress, right, was the name. That zone of familiar stress has hormones that are attached to it, right? Cortisol, adrenaline. So my body, the more stressful thoughts and stressful experiences I had in childhood, right, mapped onto the more cortisol that was coursing through my body. Mm -hmm. My zone of familiar became a stressed one. That's what my body knew as me. Right. So this is where it got complicated, right? If you would have heard me speak, especially by the time I entered my 20s, discovered psychology, knew I was going to be a psychologist, if anyone would have asked me, you know, like, what, you know, like, what are you looking for in life? You would have heard some version of peace. I just want peace. You know, I just want to like, like hippie at heart, throw my peace sign. I just want like a peaceful existence. Yet this is what would happen. If I would find myself, right, in a peaceful moment, maybe I was alone, right, and I had nothing agitating me. Because my subconscious was so used to those high cortisol levels, Mm -hmm. it was only a matter of time before one of two things would happen for me. And I learned this because I observed myself. I watched myself enough. I I witnessed what happens when you are alone, Nicole. What happened was (laughs) my house would be clean from top to bottom (laughs) because I would have so much agitation from that cortisol and that adrenaline that I couldn't just... Talk about meditating? Nope. Yeah. Couldn't sit. Wasn't doing that. Right? right. Definitely wasn't meditating alone on that day. Mm-hmm. I'd clean my house from top to bottom. That was how I would discharge. If I wasn't alone or if I was accessible to my partner, I would agitate the relationship. Before you know it, I'd be saying, you know what? I, I didn't really like the way you looked at me this morning. And what did you mean by that? That statement. That did you, you know you were doing it at the time? Not at the time. No, I right. would observe. observe, yeah. observe. And then before I knew it, lo and behold, I was in an argument. And I was stressed out and I was upset. So that pull, right? Because our mind and our body are connected. So what was happening in that moment, my mind was picking up on all the cortisol, all the adrenaline, and it was trying to make sense of why. So it did. Well, why is because you're agitated. So go deal with that. Either go clean the shit out of your house (laughs) or annoy your partner and cause the argument. And a lot of us do that. Wow. So the addictions, that the emotions that we're addicted to are different. For some of us, it's sadness. For some of us, it's anger. And again, it's just that pull of that subconscious. And when I'm not in that familiar state, because my mind and my body are connected, before I know it, I can create that state in my life. Yeah, that's why a lot of people are like a, a drawn to tumultuous relationships, uh-huh. right? Yes. Where there's a lot of fighting uh-huh. and passion because at yes. least it, you feel something. Right? That was what was emblematic of my trauma bond with Lolly. In oh, the beginning, wow. yes. she and I together created that roller coaster. There was emotional highs and lows. Yeah. And then a fight would be picked and we'd fight and then she'd run and flee mm-hmm. and that would activate me because my mother wasn't emotionally available and I'd chase her. Yeah. And then she'd get more upset and yell. And then before we know it, we're on our roller coaster. Yeah. together and that but that also like makes you feel like alive and mm-hmm. the path then you have more then you have passion because yeah. of it because yeah. i think this is an interesting thing because people i think confuse like 
melancholy sometimes with and boredom yes with like no love yeah. like you know ah, yes. we're not really i'm yes. not really in love with him you you think lust and love is the same yeah. thing right yes yeah so like because that you're that's a great example i'm similar i have that similar type of personality like that you were saying with the, you and lolly is that yes. your name and so how do you how do you get over that like mm -hmm. it's hard to like that's an adrenaline thing too mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it's like i feel that's a really hard thing to shift out of into this other place i love jen that you said i'm bored yeah because if you were to ask my my parents and my sister what my favorite they might have well said my middle name yeah was nicole i'm bored yeah because <laughs> when i wasn't i was very active physically as a yeah. child i had things every night of the week and when i did it I was bored. I was bored. Or so I thought. I just wasn't activated. So you'll hear me talk a lot in, in the context of relationships. And I think culture and TV does a lot of it too. Yeah. We are presented messages that relationships are these volatile highs and lows and right. these very romantic moments of, you know, in fact. It's and, like romantic comedies are built yeah, on this whole thing, right? And the reality of it is authentic love. Over, once you're at the honeymoon stage, for a lot of us, it's boring. It's boring. It's, boring. Calm. it's dare I say, peaceful. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or other one knows a boring. I mean, <laughs> it's true though, right? And, and then, but that's when, um, and then a whole other litany of issues come because you you mistake boredom for like unhappiness, yes. right? Because I would imagine with what you do, when people, you said when people, you know, you said you you wanted peace when you, you thought when you were mm -hmm. younger, or whatever, what you'd want to be. I feel that the word that people use, I want to be happy. It's such a, it's such a mm -hmm. like, like superfluous, like it's such yeah. a nonsense or arbitrary word, right? Because mm -hmm. happiness could be met in so many ways, right? Mm -hmm. And like, how do people really find, I know you're going to say it within yourself, right? You got to find happiness. But what, when you hear that from people, mm -hmm. how do you, what do you, what do you say to them? First question would just because you very astutely again, what is happiness? Means yeah. Something different to all of us. Yeah, exactly. Life is subjective. I learned this very early on in the context of a clinical experience. So anxiety, I know. Mm -hmm. And I had, a, I had a supervisor once tell me, right, when we were talking about, you know, patients with anxiety, for instance, say, she said, I want to urge you now. If anyone ever comes in your office, right, and you mm -hmm. say, you know, what brought you in? And they say anxiety, don't assume you know what they mean, even though you're very intimately connected yeah. to the experience of anxiety because they knew enough about yeah. me, right, the supervisor at the time. And that was so profound to me. Because I came to realize in that moment, the truth of the matter, that you could say anxiety, I could say anxiety, we both go, yeah, we're anxious. And we could be both talking about two different things. Really? Right? Your anxiety experience might be, you know, something in your body or, you know, you might just be defining it different than how I yeah. experience anxiety. And that's so same thing with happiness. So yeah. the first question, and sometimes we say things that maybe we don't even know what we mean. Yeah. So the first inward exploration would be to define what is happiness. The My answer for happiness probably will be different than yours and right. will be different than everyone else's in this room, right? So getting clear on what happiness means to you and being okay if you don't know, finding your way, finding the definition right. of happiness. And I think that's, that's a really core um, component of a lot of the work that I do um, because we are very subjective. We are very much coloring our experiences with our past, with our own meanings. So yeah. it's really important for us to get clear first for ourselves yeah. about what we mean. And then once we have that definition, then we could start to find the path of how to create happiness, for instance, in our life. What is the biggest, what's the biggest question that besides that kind of question, you've, what, what's the biggest issue you feel that people are really struggling with the most these days? 
I think disconnection Dis- from yeah. self that then gets reflected. You'll, what it'll come out, what you'll hear. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm unfulfilled in my relationships. I'm disconnected from people or I'm disconnected from the world. I'm unfulfilled in the world. I believe all of that, again, originates when we're disconnected from ourselves, right. authentically first and foremost. But some version of, of that disconnect and the results of it, I think pretty much sums up what most of us are struggling with. And so what is, what do people do to kind of start that process besides being aware? I know that that was Mm -hmm. for being consciously aware. How do people like start even getting to that place? Simple, difficult question to Mm -hmm. ask oneself in as many moments as we can. Yeah. What do I need right now? First hitting pause, that's that's stepping into the consciousness, right? right? Not just going about my day and, oh, I don't even know what I need. This is what I do next. Hitting that pause, coming to consciousness, checking in with myself right now. What do I need right now? Do I need this drink of water? Am I okay, right? The senses, the the senses that you're saying? Once I'm conscious, right? So we need to become conscious or else I'm just going to go about my day and probably not ask myself what I need nor know what I need in that moment. So we want to do our consciousness check-in and now I'm here and do this as many times as we can throughout our day. And then begin to practice that simple question. I said simple yet complicated because for a lot of us, we might not know. We might have no idea what we need in this moment. And then we need to find our way, learn, right? Checking in with our physical body. Well, am I cared for? Am I hungry? Am I not? Learning those cues. Each of our body tells us things differently. This is where it doesn't, there's no roadmap, right? right a lot of us right. are looking, well, what are the steps one through five I to know. do this? I, I'm a tactical. And unfortunately, right? So this is, this is where we have to become the intuitive being, right? That yeah. we started out as as children. We all do know. Yeah. We all know, but we need to be able to drop into ourselves. For some of us, we need to be able to listen to our intuition and give ourselves the space to allow the knowing to come to the surface because so many of us are just blowing through life, doing, actioning, thinking, yep. trying to ask myself from up here, what do I need? Instead of dropping in saying, well, what do I need? Well, how does my body feel, right? Does it feel, does it feel like energetic or low? Right? Yeah. That could be a star, you know, am I hungry? Am I not hungry emotionally? What am I doing? So what, stopping, yeah. pausing, and then saying, what do I need? And being okay with not knowing and being okay with feeling our way and not thinking our way to that answer. Are you someone then, you said you didn't like meditation before. Are you someone that meditates now? Now I do. You do. So the way I, I created a habit of consciousness, which is what I suggest, is I did what I was suggesting in terms of that conscious check-in in my day. I didn't start a meditation practice where I shut my eyes and I sat because it was too overwhelming. Mm-hmm. I felt like I was crawling out of my skin. I didn't yeah, like what my too. mind was telling me. And I definitely had too many things to do. Yeah. <laughs> I definitely did not have the time to be sitting there. Yes. So it did not. And that's why I definitely suggest to begin to practice consciousness throughout our day. Right. Even something we're doing can be a hook for our attention, if not our senses, when you're washing the dishes. Yeah. Focus on the sensory experience of washing the dishes, right? Using your attention there. That's how I began to practice consciousness because sitting was overwhelming. Now, for me, the act of closing my eyes, shutting the world out, that's the space in my day. And I do practice it each and every day in my morning routine where I connect with myself, where I start my day connected to what I believe is my spiritual being, and then allowing me to open the dialogue, to hear how I'm doing, to see what comes up. So now I sit, um, not, you know, 10, 15 minutes, nothing extensive, though that's quite some time. Um, And like I said, I did not get there overnight. So anyone, A, 
practice consciousness in daily life, like I said, that could be a little less overwhelming. What right. am I doing? Especially when I'm doing something sensory based, like the shower, the dishes, maybe those are things we used to hate, right? right? We could change our relationship with those things. And if we are going to evolve into a sitting practice, or if you would find value in a sitting practice, one minute, two minutes, right? Nothing. Don't, don't put that timer the first time you're right. going to meditate onto not even five minutes. That's a long time to be sitting. And for me, the value I find in that is that gives me the place to just be connected with me. Um, and like I said, I do it in the morning. So before I start my day. So what is your daily routine? What do you do in the morning? What mm -hmm. is your daily routine? Yeah, absolutely. Your morning routine. So I, I say this again from a recovering person who hated mornings. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I definitely would feud with my dad for a very long time in high school over mornings. Because um, <laughs> I, now I've trained myself to, to get up at an early hour. I'm usually up between five and six. Um, that early? In the morning. And I, you don't even have kids. I go to bed very early. I'll get to my bed. Oh, <laughs> I, wanted, I was going to ask you. I'm in bed by nine. Um, and I, so I, and for me, the morning, so this began when I was still seeing clients, which I don't do anymore. So I had a time of my day where I would start mm. in client work. Um, so for me having the mornings to not only care for myself, but then begin to do some of the creative work that I was doing as I was creating the account mornings was the time because by nighttime I'm exhausted. Yeah. So it was very begrudging that I started yeah. to get up that early. I definitely wasn't excited about it. Now I love it. Now it's really that time before emails are coming in. I mean, emails are there, but before I, yeah. I tune into them, if yeah. I'm good. Exactly. Um, so in the mornings, if all goes well, yeah. I'm up somewhere between naturally. I don't set an alarm. So again, if I need a little more sleep, I might sleep until, you know, a little bit closer to six and I'm up. And then in the morning, you'll always see me do the same sort of routine of things. Um, I engage in a practice that I call future self journaling. Um, each and every morning, it's my practice. I developed it when I was healing and I still do it years later. It's where I set a conscious intention to change, to maintain that habit. So each and every day I follow, I have some journal prompts. So anyone who's interested listening wants to sign up for my email list. I actually just put out an expanded version. So a whole how-to PDF packet. Really what it is is each and every morning I set the intention to continue doing the things that I want to do differently today. The value in that, A, it's my reminder. It's a visual. That you it's have, my visual. Yeah. It's my reminder. And when I write it and I suggest, and if anyone who wants these journal prompts in this guide will see it listed in there, I write as if it's already happened, as if I'm already mm. doing those things in my day. I am this. This is happening. I feel this way, even if it's not yet true. Because what we're harnessing in that moment mm -hmm. is two things, two beautiful parts of this brain that we're gifted with. The fact that it doesn't know what's real and what's imagined. Right. So if you're saying it in real time as if it's true in that moment, your mind believes it to be true. Yeah. And in doing that repetitively, consistently every day, you're practicing mental rehearsal. You're yeah. firing up that new pathway. The more you're, it's like your training ground. Absolutely. Because the change, now this is the caveat with the journal, it's not magic. Okay. You don't close it, the sparks don't <laughs> come out, and you're not poof that different person. You still have to show up for yourself throughout that day. You still have to remember to do that consciousness check-in that you said you would do in the morning. You still have to remember to use your senses, right, to be conscious right. at that time later in your day. You still have to do the work throughout the day. However, that journaling tool helps because yeah. if I didn't do that, chances are I'd slip right into that absolutely old pattern and then i it would be 7 p.m and i'd be like oh shoot i'm supposed to do that new thing today and i completely forgot yeah absolutely. i'll do it tomorrow 
And then tomorrow slides right into that Groundhog's Day experience. So I want that. I'm going to try that. So you should check out the journal. I'll make sure it comes your way. So that's every morning. Okay. About five minutes it takes me. I write what I'm going to do. I, you know, focus on my same pattern. So I journal, I meditate. Um, Again, 10, 15 minutes, depending on how I'm feeling that day. I stretch, I move my body. I do some version of whether it's a yoga and that's a very mindful conscious Mm -hmm. activity for me or something a little more rigorous. Cause I've learned that when my energy gets stuck in my body, it's only a matter of time before I'm back down those old habits and patterns before I don't know what to do with it. And I'm poking at you and I'm, (laughs) and quarantine has been difficult in a lot of Uh, ways, you know, for that. So for me, it's meditation, it's journaling, and it's movement every morning, pretty much. And then at night, you said you have an And so routine. by nighttime, um, I'm usually done with my significant work by later afternoon. So by dinner time, I'm like segueing into peaceful evening, which means I'm probably not answering emails. I'm probably not working. I'm probably not watching anything that's going to stress me out. At what time? 7.30? You um, stop? Before dinner. Oh, um, I usually oh. have dinner between 5 and 6. Oh, why? Um, and then, so I'm probably not going to put on like the stress news channel mm. while I'm watching dinner. <laughs> I'm trying to get myself into that calm state and maybe I'm reading, I'm doing kind of low key calming activities so that I can be in bed around, you know, nine, eight thirty nine, and then asleep by 10. Oh, so you're sleeping by 10. Well, wow. so you're in bed by nine o'clock, huh? Mm-hmm. Maybe that's, you know, maybe that's the trick because pe- people- The bedtime is really, because we all want a morning routine and we forget that we're, we need sleep too. The so night routine is more important than the morning routine. The night routine. routine sets you up for the night routine. And and the way I even allowed myself to have a morning routine is, and I and I was not trained to go to bed, you know, at nine o'clock, at 10 right. o'clock even. I was very much up until midnight, like a lot of us are. So I would just put my ass in bed yeah. and just wait there. <laughs> And then when they might, so in the beginning, I did practice with an alarm. I would set my alarm for five. I'd want to throw it against the wall and I'd get up anyway. Cause I right. thought the, the more I just get myself up, that'll help me get more and more tired so that I can go to sleep and then wake up refreshed the next day. So then that's great. Cause I, I, I reverse engineered. You reverse engineered it. <laughs> that's exactly what I was going to say. And, that, and it works. It worked. It I works. mean, it didn't work overnight. I think this was very much a long time coming. You know, there was still, now I like my mornings and I get up willingly and I engage in all that willing. It took a while where I was just doing it. Right. I was just keeping those promises to myself that I would do it, keeping those intentions yeah. before I actually wanted to. And I, I share that a lot because I think a lot of us wait to want to. Yeah. We want to wait till we feel like it. Um, and again, with that resistance and that self conscious that we've just been talking about that's never going to be the case we are going to be waiting until we're done that's absolutely that's (laughs) such a truism in life though that's with everything (laughs) though you know you wait like you think for kids like you know there's never a good time Mm -hmm. you're always going to find something else it's kind of the same in the same vein as what you're saying you kind of have to force it along a little bit Mm -hmm. or just do it until it becomes your yeah. like new thing or your or your or your habit, I yes. think that's so true. Yes. Then when did this whole because your book's not out yet? Your book comes out next year. But what was that whole? You, you just, I guess you'll tell me. But you had such um, such a huge response from your work that you decided, hey, I'm going to write a book, and then. But what happened? So the book is really, the Instagram is a gift. Don't get me wrong. And that's, I will never stop showing up on the Instagram. Um, for me, it, on it's- On the Instagram. For yeah. the Instagram. I mean, for me- it, I am, You're on Facebook too, though, I'm right? on Facebook too. Okay. I, I just, I kind of always am talking about Instagram, yeah. um, mainly just because that's the main platform and where right. the community lives. So content's very similar across Facebook. I have a YouTube channel. Um, I say all that to say, giving those free tools, equalizing access, spreading mm-hmm. these messages to people who, like I said earlier, 
might be in other countries, might never have heard of this stuff, might not have access to these type of practitioners or these tools. That's really important to me. However, yeah. I understand the limitation of a little square and am amount of characters, yeah. you know, provide. So as I began to think about, you know, kind of unify this theory and understand what that means and translate it into the practical tools, which yes, I am putting out daily in this much more constricted way, small way. I really understood that a book, I needed this place where I could talk about the whole theory of, you know, holistic psychology or holistic healing from start to finish along with the tools. So a book was the next natural progression. You know, but you do with, with these little spaces, I, mean, I wanted to, I left this open on purpose because I, I always like take these little uh, screenshots of things that you say. And I'm like, wow, that was so good. Um, was it? Well, I said we were all wounded children walking around in adult bodies, having tantrums, fearing abandonment, seeking validation. Be kind. Like <laughs> things like this, you fit a lot of information mm -hmm. in like a square. Mm -hmm. That's like, it, it makes you stop in your tracks and like, think about it. And like, well, wow. thank you. no, it's true. So, I mean, like, actually, I think you do yeah. great with that little thank piece you. of thank information. You. You know? I appreciate it. Oh, or you're saying like your behavior. What, what was the other one I liked? Re not that recently, but how you you act you you behave the way you feel or i mean you have who thinks of all these things you just think about it in the moment and just kind of just spew it a lot of it is informed by my day-to-day -day, by i am very engaged with the community so i'm watching i'm always in the comments and kind of seeing engaging you know kind of tweaking based on what are they understanding what is the need i'm very try to be as attuned yeah. to what is the natural progression what are things that are coming up for the community that i can speak on and just living in it sometimes it's um, my own life, you know, yeah. the argument I had, the thing that happened over here. And so it's just very much there. And it's honest. Um, and you're also very honest. Yeah, I share a lot of my own in the book, too. So the book really is what is holistic psychology? Like I said, understanding yeah. the unified whole that we are physical bodies. I talk a lot about the different dysregulations, especially on our nervous system that are keeping a lot of us stuck. Um, I go into the whole world of relationships and emotional maturity and how we develop that. So it's really the unified whole in theory. Um, each and every chapter has workbooks, you know, kind of like exercises oh, at the end um, so that we can apply. Yeah. I think that's a large reason, again, why the account is growing. A lot, like I said, I'm not unique. The things I'm talking about have been talked about in different ways right. with different language. I believe we're all just messengers of unified whole truths, you know, universal truths that exist. However, I think I'm understanding that the way they're being talked about is in an understandable manner. And a lot of these topics have been just conceptual or theories or, okay, that makes sense over here, but what do I do in real life? How yeah. does this play out in my day to day? Does it apply to what do life? I do with this information? And so I say all that to say, I, I understand again, the growth of the account through that lens is that the way it's being talked about and understood is feeling more resonating. Yeah. It's feeling more practical and it's allowing people to do something right. to action in a new way. So the book very similarly will offer that. And then throughout it, to speak to your point, I talk a lot about my own journey, yeah. about my own past, about the own, you know, my, my areas of stuck, my relationship patterns. I give a lot of other antidotal stories of people I've worked with, of people in the community, other self healers. So 
people can see themselves. I know that we are all looking to see ourselves. We are all looking for those moments of resonance for someone else's story to remind us just enough of ours, right? That Absolutely. we can hold on to something. Um, so I think that's a very important part of the book. And so throughout the book, you'll see that as well. And then you were saying earlier about like the fact that people are so disconnected right now, especially in the and that I think community is very, very important. Don't you have a community yes. where people can kind of mm -hmm. join? So outside of just the engaged community on Instagram, which yeah. like I said, I'm always going to be there and all of, all of the, the Facebook and the YouTube, um, they're very engaged comment sections there. All, I'm watching people. I, my heart was just almost exploded the other day. Um, on one of the posts, I was watching community members organizing accountability partners. Um, reaching out, just hey, from the, just, from just themselves, comments. just in the comment section. Hey, wow. I'm so-and-so. This is what I'm dealing with. Anyone want to be an accountability partner? Oh, I do. And I mean, I could have. I could have exploded right then just watching that. So wow. really engaged community. Again, free access for anyone who has an Instagram account. Um, I have the last year, we just turned a year old. Um, we have a virtual online community, the self healer circle. Um, it's a little more in depth. Um, it's a paid membership each and every month. We have a topic of healing that together as a group, I have outside experts that come in and present on each of these topics. Um, and it's again, a very interactive place. We just got a new website. So the newest gift of this past month, we built out um, our own website so that we can house this uh, interactive virtual community. So all the members are moving over and it gives them that space that's not on all the social medias um, where it, again, it's very community based. I believe we heal in community. Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree with you. Mm -hmm. Well, you're like a fountain of information. I can go on and on with you. <laughs> I can you. talk all day. Oh my God. I get, literally, you're so, fan, you're so fantastic. How do people, uh, your, when is your book out again next? March, March 9th. Yeah. It comes out. It's currently on pre-sale. So anyone oh, who it is, already. is interested in pre-ordering pre-sale, oh, it, it will not be delivered though. It's, it, it comes out. It releases on March 9th. And for those who don't know where you are, how do, how do people find more information or get engaged with your community? Where yeah, they find absolutely. you? Absolutely. I mean, again, I, I can't talk about Instagram enough. So the community <laughs> Instagram, the dot holistic dot psychologist. Um, anyone who's interested in YouTube, I, every Sunday I put out a short teaching lesson as well around all of these topics on the YouTube channel, the holistic psychologist. Um, the Facebook page is the holistic psychologist. And if you go through the Instagram, I have a link tree that has the future self journal prompts that you can easily mm. sign up for for free. Any of the links to pre-sale, um, there's quite a few international, so it'll be in several languages. So chances are, if anyone listening internationally, um, there might be a publisher that's able to get it in your na native tongue, which is really cool. And again, all of that's on the link tree in the Instagram. That's amazing. Well, thank you so much for being a guest. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. I want you to come back. I mean, I've got other questions I have on my Page, I know I could have I could have kept talking I felt badly I'm like my god the girl's probably like just getting tired from like yapping already but thank you so much it was a pleasure having you thank you habits and hustle time to get it rolling stay up on the grind don't stop keep it going habits and hustle from nothing into something all out hosted by Jennifer Cohen visionaries tune in you can get to know them be inspired this is your moment excuses we ain't having that the habits and hustle podcast powered by habit nest this episode is brought to you by the yap media podcast network i'm hala taha ceo of the award-winning digital media empire yap media and host of yap young and profiting podcast a number one entrepreneurship and self-improvement podcast where you can listen learn and profit on Young and Profiting Podcast, I interview the brightest minds in the world 
and I turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your daily life. Each week, we dive into a new topic like the art of side hustles, how to level up your influence and persuasion, and goal setting. I interview A-list guests on Young and Profiting. I've got the best guests, like the world's number one negotiation expert, Chris Voss, Shark, Damon John, serial entrepreneurs, Alex and Layla Hermosi, and even movie stars like Matthew McConaughey. There's absolutely no fluff on my podcast, and that's on purpose. Every episode is jam-packed with advice that's gonna push your life forward. I do my research, I get straight to the point, and I take things really seriously, which is why I'm known as the podcast princess and how I became one of the top podcasters in the world in less than five years. Young and Profiting Podcast is for all ages. Don't let the name fool you. It's an advanced show. As long as you wanna learn and level up, you will be forever young. So join Podcast Royalty and subscribe to Young and Profiting Podcast or Yap, like it's often called by my Yap fam, on Apple, Spotify, CastBox, or wherever you listen to your podcasts.